This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at Huntworth.com. And they are running a preseason 30% off sale right now using promo code PRE30, P-R-E-30. And that goes until August 21st. And um, like I keep saying, uh, they're giving away uh, their whole... Holton set and uh, I would definitely check that out that's one of their colder weather sets maybe not good um, in the early season uh, but definitely some of my favorite things they're giving that away for this uh, third quarter so we'll give that away uh, right as our season kicks off uh, beginning of October and if nothing else go to huntworthgear.com and uh, poke around on the website you may see a familiar face on there. Um, I was just pulling it up today to look at uh, some of their stuff and uh, some of the things from uh, one of the photo shoots I've talked about uh, is up on the website. So um, check that out, huntworthgear.com. Um, and they also have just launched their uh, women's line of the Tarnan camo. That Tarnan is freaking awesome. Like one of my favorite patterns. Uh, it's got a lot of grays. Uh, it mixes well with like birch trees, cedar, um, grasses, um, really, really awesome. So again, check that out, huntworthgear.com. Got to give a shout out to our latest Patreon, Ryan Burmeister, um, out of White Cloud, Michigan. So kind of a local boy and, uh, Ryan, get a hold of me. We're going to be, uh, doing that Patreon hunt near that area, right? Maybe in your neck of the woods. So, uh, I want to check that out and, um, I do need to get your shirt size so I can get you um, that shirt sent out, um, and I'll do that as soon as I, I get that. So uh, get a hold of me. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Patreon is a crowdfunding for creators. It helps us um, do all the things uh, that we do here on the show. Um, 
go to these events, uh, like the hunting expo that we were just down in, uh, at Ohio, um, all the hosting, you know, all the fees, all the gear, uh, everything associated with, uh, running the podcast. Uh, but we try and give back as much as we can. And we don't work with any partners who won't give back, um, working with adjustable red dot, um, I think we're going to do a giveaway here pretty soon. I got to get with uh, Tim, but I was out shooting that bow recently. And, you know, for guys that maybe don't see so well, don't like a peep site, easy target target acquisition, um, you know, easy to shoot, both eyes open, real easy to set up. Um, you're going to want to check them out, Adjustable Red Dot. Um, one of our partners, uh, great guys right here out of Michigan as well. So, um, but other giveaways that we've got going on, um, Spartan Forge. So got a podcast coming up here with Johnny Stewart and uh, Lane Hausner uh, talking about a little bit about Spartan Forge. But, you know, Spartan Forge is artificial intelligence for the deer woods, deer prediction software. But, I mean, their mapping is incredible. Their point to point, um, I don't know how often they do it, but instead of, you know, every 20 yards putting a point, you know, after you've done your track, um, it tracks you know, just about everywhere that you've went, just incredible. And then their, uh, leaf off imagery is just incredible. Uh, getting the UAV or drone, uh, mapping, uh, updated regularly. Um, great stuff from Spartan Forge and they give away a one-year membership to, uh, Spartan Forge. Our friends, um, let's see who else do we got. Zinger, Zinger always gives away uh, a set of their, 3d printed fletchings and uh so they just go on compression fit they were actually down at the hunting expo and uh got to talk with those guys like we always do um uh, but they were they were showing me how to make them not fly off using them with wraps um all of the different features that they have and i gotta get those guys on the podcast here shortly but they give those away uh, we're also working with Lucky Buck. <laughs> my cameras are just blowing up. Uh, my buddy's got some down in Missouri, and the big bucks are hitting them down there. But uh, up in the UP where he put that uh, late last year, beginning of the year here, there bucks on it, does on it. I mean, everything that we're 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 trying to do up there and just kind of get inventory, something we haven't done in a long time. And Lucky Buck gives away either one of their tubs of Lucky Buck or. Uh, a bag of their seed, their perennial clover. Um, it's got some other things mixed in with it. And we put some of that up in the UP as well. So um, really uh, happy to be working with those guys this year. And I uh, can't wait for the season. It's rapidly approaching. So all of that is giveaways for our Patreons. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Boring Chronicles podcast. 17 cents a day, 33 cents a day helps us out tremendously. You know, it, it, you also get one of the things I always forget is a... Uh, subscription to the vitals live which is live podcasts live webinars where you get to ask the questions through me um so you get to sit there and uh, watch Andy may break down maps uh ask greg litzinger questions joe miles um lots of different guests that we've had on there and um we're, we're continuing to do that and you get that free with that uh patreon subscription as well so again uh we try and do as much as we can for everybody, you know, that supports the show. And if there's something that you want, if you want us to give something away, if you want something that, you know, you don't want to spend the money on, let us know because we're always looking uh, for something to give back. We're working with Latitude to uh, give away a package for this one as well. I almost forgot about that. So we're going to be giving away uh, some of their saddle gear as well as uh, other things as they, as they come along. But 
this podcast is really fun. Uh, one I've been trying to do for quite some time to talk to Zach about hunting off the ground and kind of uh, what to do when you, you you get those deer in, but they're not where you expected or you, you're walking in and all of a sudden you encounter them. Like, how do you react? What do you do? Um, what kind of goes through his head and how does he break it down? Um, you know, great podcast with Zach. Really appreciate it. For you guys, if Patreon isn't your thing, just tell someone about the podcast. This is a great podcast. Say, hey, man, you don't need a saddle. You don't need a climber. You don't need a tree stand. You know, let's just go out and try and hunt off the ground this year. Uh, let's give it a try. This is a podcast for you. But as always, thanks for listening. Fun guests, one of the more recognizable guests. I mean, I was getting my hair cut today telling uh, somebody about, you know, uh, at a podcast this afternoon and, um, the one of the stylists turns around and she's like, well, I, uh, you know, I hunt like, uh, you know, what's the name of your podcast? And I told her and I said, yeah, we're going to do a podcast today with uh, Zach from the hunting public. And she's like, oh my gosh, I love Zach. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, maybe it's the hair. I mean, she was a stylist, so maybe, that's maybe true. that's what, what, what draws her to you. But, um, you know, I, I love the, I mean, I think everybody loves the energy, everything that you bring, uh, to the table, even after those long, uh, grueling hunts and all of that. So, um, you know, how have you been Zach? It's been a while. Oh, been good, man. Just, uh, trying to get things done here, trying to get all the things figured out. Like, you know, you go hunting for, you know, or kind of in the, the busy season, hunting, editing season, like you're out on the road a lot. You kind of forget to do all the other life things like, you know, just everyday stuff really, but, but trying to figure out all that kind of reorganizing things. And then, um, I really need to do some organization in this room, to be honest, <laughs> if you could see everything around me, it's like, this is nice right here, but everything else is complete chaos. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I got hard drives on hard drives. I got my Rec my podcast recording stuff like kind of halfway on the floor halfway on the desk you know but just trying to get a lot of that stuff done before before hunting season but yeah how have you been what's up with you oh uh, just uh been super busy you know podcasting we're doing actually uh some of the questions i got for you here uh, so we're doing a patreon deer hunt and mm -hmm. it's wild like so like i was telling you you know i'm just a regular guy from michigan you've hunted michigan you know it's not known for big bucks we're going to be hunting a area that i've never hunted before uh but i i've got camping property up there so there's tons of deer like i see tons of deer so it's a good spot for people to get out and just shoot some deer right mm -hmm. well we got guys flying in from rhode island new york washington um, <laughs> you know, to come and just hang out and, and for the, the deer camp experience. So, I mean, I'll just get right into it from, from that perspective. You know, we've been talking, I've, we're actually doing a zoom meeting tonight, you know, trying to do like some of the logistics stuff, but like you've been fortunate enough to have deer camps all over the country with all different groups of people. Maybe you've never met them before or whatever. So like, what are some of your tips for like a successful deer camp? Well, I think that like we were talking a little bit right before, it's like for one deer camps aren't always the most comfortable thing. So like, I think if you're going into it, it's like just having that mentality of like, Hey, I might be a little bit out of my comfort zone here. Like it's certainly not, you know, laying down at your bed at home, 
right? It's like having that expectation going into it, but also what can I do to make it more uncomfortable and more, you know, just like have a place to kind of relax. And um, it's funny to look at all the different options that we've had over the years. I mean, there's occasionally, I guess for the most part, we just have a pretty mobile camp, you know, that's kind of our style. So that's evolved a lot over the years, but um, you know, it just, I think it depends on what a little bit, what your, um, how, how are you able to adjust and how much, how extreme can you take it? Right. Cause it's like at one point there, when we were trying to save money, we were running like one man, only one man tents or like, you know, with sleeping pad. And that way we could pack up every morning and that in case we wanted to move, you know, it's like, we're just doing this like super, super mobile camp. Um, we also have certain ways that, um, you know, we, or we have certain tents and stuff that we have that are a little bit bigger. We can put a cot in. So that may be a little bit more, you know, appealing to, to another guy, but it's like, think of the comfort, like find something, a sleeping system that works for you. Like whatever that looks like. I mean, again, it's evolved a lot for us over the years. We used to all sleep in one tent and we slept all in one man tents. And now we sometimes, you know, have a group. Some guys are in a bigger tent. Some guys are in a small tent. And now I have a rooftop tent on my truck. So it's like things evolve a lot in that way, but find a sleeping system that works, find a good way to cook food that, you know, is going to get you by again, that evolved, has evolved a lot for us over the years, but for the most part, we always have a way to, you know, cook a good meal at the end of the day. And then, um, just having water. I mean, it sounds so silly, but those are like the three main like things. And if you have those things, you're going to be comfortable. And then from there, you can make it as elaborate or as, you know, mobile small scale as you want. And I think that's, you know, we vary it, it so much. It's, it's, pretty fun, pretty fun to see the evolution, I guess, over the years, because it has changed a lot. And so when you roll into these new places, like, you know, everybody's has different expectations. And this is going to be like, the smallest deer contest, like it's going to be the antithesis of like the big buck pool, right? So when you go and you're and again, you've probably done this more than anybody. You're stepping on ground for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like when you're going in there, like how are you breaking it down? I mean, obviously you're going to do some e-scouting. I'm assuming mm-hmm. you're going to be looking for some transitions, maybe some water, um, yep. that type of stuff. But like the the mindset walking into an area, like let's just say like when you were doing your public land challenge here in Michigan, right? So mm-hmm. you never had that uh, – you, never been on there before you were hunting similar things to maybe we will, you know, big woods and some little swamps and creeks and stuff. Mm -hmm. So like, how do you, how do you approach that? I think the, the first thing is, is the initial like map scout. And there's a lot of times these days that I don't even do that until like we're driving there or we're pulled up there. And like, now we're here. And like, I, I, I don't know that that, like all these things said, like, I don't think it has to be this way by any means. Right. But like, if I'm going in blind, a lot of times I don't have like, like a whole bunch of time to commit to it where we're doing so much in one season 
like we're bouncing around so much that it's like there's a lot of times where it's just like hey we're going here it's like okay what let me start saving some maps now you know what i mean where it's like we're driving there and we're looking so that, that i think that's there's positives and negatives to that obviously if you have scouted an area for months prior you know the positives are you're very familiar with the area you've already got a bunch of areas picked out but the negative can be you can overanalyze right especially if you're able to put boots on the ground and and uh like map scout it, it there there's there's a lot of room for overthinking it i guess and i feel like i have a tendency to do that if i have too much time so like for me i like roll it up and being like okay like here are these spots and i'm going to go check out and it varies you know a lot of times early in the season i have way more of a game plan i have way more of like a you know checklist of places that i want to check out first but as you start to get into like mid-october into november it's kind of just like oh here we're rolling up like let's go check it out so you know, I usually pick a handful of places that I think are interesting for one reason or another. Like you mentioned, transition lines, water is a big factor in, in all of hunting, whether that be turkeys or elk, it's like you got water. There's, there's going to be animals there. Um, but the, the first thing that I like to do is just get an idea of what it actually looks like. You know, your perspective by looking at the map is going to be way off you're never going to nail it exactly. I mean, even with the luxuries of Onyx and Google earth and whatever you can get your hands on, it's like you can put yourself in that position and actually look, you know, a lot of times what the terrain looks like and everything. But when you actually get there, it's usually a lot different than what you think. So driving around, kind of get an idea of terrain, vegetation types, um, you know, how far along certain, um, certain vegetation is in, in, in crops and stuff like that. You know, you can drive around an area and if you have any sort of agriculture, it's like, Oh, there's corn there. That is going to make a difference on how interested I am in that particular spot versus if it, if it was beans. Right. And I think if I don't make that initial cruise around areas, it may be, um, challenging to, I, I guess you run the risk of just diving into a place blind and you're just super blind you know, um, and you're just in there set up, you know, waiting and you don't really know big picture what's going on. So I like to get a, a big cruise around. It tells me a lot of things like, um, like I said, ag, you know, maybe what acorns are dropping, maybe how much terrain is actually in that area. Um, it might also tell me where other people, well, it's definitely gonna tell me where other people are hunting if you're there in season. And then, um, also, like roads, man. Like there's a lot of situations where you're looking at a map. You're like, is that a real road or is this somebody's driveway or how does this really work? So to me, that's super valuable because if you just go into one direction, like let's say you pull in, there's a trail, you park at a parking spot, an obvious parking spot. There's an obvious trail and you walk in and you're like, man, I really walked in here a long way. And you get in there, you get set up. Well, if you never drove around the block, there might be another access point that you didn't even know about. Or on the flip side, what's, what's really the best situation is, is, oh, I thought that was an access point and it's not. That's when things can really be handy. So, you know, as far as breaking that down, to me, there's nothing more valuable than driving because, you know, we all kind of get that feeling, whether we're actually boots on the ground or just driving around and you're like, that's it. Like 
that's the habitat that I'm looking for. That looks like there's deer in there. Maybe it's just got a diversity that you can't see from the map. Maybe it's got, uh, you know, some sort of terrain that makes it challenging. Maybe the, the creek there is bigger than you thought. And you're like, oh, well, nobody's crossing that unless they got waders or a canoe or a boat or whatever. So, you know, just actually getting eyes on the area is like, to me, totally, totally the most important thing. And I'll, I'll, if I have seven days to hunt an area, I'll spend a day or maybe even two. I mean, it's sometimes brutal and sometimes I don't like it. I'd rather just get out and run around, but it's like covering that ground in the vehicle is pretty dang important. And you may see something too that like, I mean, you may just get lucky and it's like, Oh, there's a buck right there. Like that's, I mean, it sounds crazy, but it happens. It happens even in the places where people tell you it'll never happen. Like Michigan, like Pennsylvania, like, you know, um, any high pressured area. It's like, I've been driving around, man, and seen stuff that I felt like I never should have, but if I wouldn't have been driving around, I would have never saw it. If I'd have just been, you know, I think that's the risk with hunting daylight to dark or, you know, committing to setups. It's like, you don't ever, shouldn't say ever, but you kind of like, uh, stack the odds against you to find something unique where if you're just driving around, you never know, you never know what you might find. So I think that's an interesting point. And that was one of the things I kind of had a, a question on, you know, from your perspective is that you've gone to kind of more of a spot and stock or, you know, still hunting ground mm-hmm. setup type thing. Um, and I, I guess in general, I would say most people pick a spot on the map. They say they're going to go there. They find some sign that they like, and then they set up. And like you said, like you, commit a daylight to dark or, or something like that and yeah, or a whole afternoon or something or morning or whatever yeah so uh, i guess like at what point do you say this is where i want to set up if you're not seeing animals as you're mm-hmm. as you're moving through or where do you say you know what i mean i guess is it like a time of the day where you're like okay well we're 30 minutes from you know, last light, I'm just going to sit here and wait, or do you just say, okay, well, I'm just going to start to sneak my way back to the truck. And, you know, I think, I think it's a, it's, that's a tough question that I feel like sometimes I don't have a great answer for myself, but you know, I, I guess to kind of help you maybe see what's going through my head in a lot of situations, like a lot of times you pick a spot on the map right? Just like, just like anybody would, like you're, you're trying to pick that X where you think a buck is going to be spending his time, whether he's bedding there, feeding there, traveling through the dozer there, whatever. Um, so I want to pick a spot on a map and then I want to kind of walk through that area generally at a somewhat of a safe distance or a safe place, whether I'm using um, just vegetation to kind of block me from where they're going to see me or smell me, you know, wind always in my favor, but see me or hear me or I'm using terrain, but I'm kind of just poking around the outside. If I start seeing a bunch of good sign coming out of that particular area that I have the X on, then I'm going to start to commit more time to it. If I'm not seeing the sign that I want, then I don't really care about that spot. I'll either just completely like leave it behind or, you know, only come back to it if I feel like I haven't found anything better. But but really early, I feel like in a in a non 
resident hunt, you know, a place that's unfamiliar to me, which literally everything I do nowadays is, is that it doesn't matter if it's even in like the state I reside now, it's like, I go to so many different areas on purpose to just keep, keep kind of being in the same situation because it, I like that. I like finding new spots and, and doing different stuff, or I guess just trying new areas. But what I like to do, I guess, is get a sample from as many places as I can. So if I've got like, generally speaking, I have, you know, anywhere from three to eight spots that I'm like, man, these are killer looking spots. They look sweet. So I'll drive around those on day one and on day two or three, whatever I get, however long it takes me to get there. I narrow that down. Let's say I had eight and I drove around and like three of them were like, ah, oh, dude, there's four dudes parked here. Like, you know, there's non-residents here. There's residents here. There's this access path. Maybe on this spot is like goes, you know, you can drive further than I thought. So that's where the, the driving around value comes in. So now I shrink that eight, maybe down to like four. So then in those four, I bounce around and I say, okay, you know, these are tough to get to places, maybe overlooked places. Now I'm going to just go straight to like the perimeters of that, that X where I think the buck's spending his time and I'm checking the sign coming in and out of here. Let's say I'm like, I could use an example of like Michigan, like maybe you're along a river bottom and you see a big bend in the river and you think, okay, I think he's betting inside of that horseshoe of the bend of the river to check that spot out. I may stay 200, 300 yards kind of outside of that horseshoe and walk, you know, a little bit of the perimeter of that where he may be walking from the bend of the river out of away from the river. What's the sign look like? If there's a bunch of rubs or there's a big community scrape there, you know, depending on the year, time of the year, my expectation of what should be there is going to change a little bit. But if I'm seeing that good sign, then I'm going to start to commit that time. I may say, you know what, let's hang out here for, for the rest of the day. Let's come back here in the morning. Um, maybe, maybe the next time, you know, you paddle in or something, but, but that's, that's just the initial It's like confirming, is this worth a damn or not? Really? It's like, is there, the actual buck sign coming out of this spot or enough deer sign that I feel confident. And I think if that's like, let's say we go there though, and there's nothing and it's just like, yeah, I'm not really even seeing a trail. There's a couple tracks here and there, nothing. This isn't saying high concentration of deer, just like move on, just keep going. Because while it may look good on a map and it, it may like check all the boxes of like, this is the way it should, you know, this is, this is what I read, you know, is how you find a deer in this habitat. Well, if it's not, if the sign's not there, it doesn't really matter. So, you know, looking for that fresh sign is really, really going to help hold me up and make me put a little bit more focus on a certain area. And a lot of times too, when you're making those moves and those still hunts, there's going to be clues that tell you that there is something big in here, like a big rub or a big track or consistently just seeing like a lot of buck sign. Um, it's like, okay, hung up completely. Like I, I can use an example of Pennsylvania, which is also a, you know, heavily pressured area that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people claim is, is about as pressured as it gets. And I had been, I guess the first day had been driving around and 
had started kind of walking into some areas and all of a sudden we hit this particular ridge that I had been looking at on the map prior a couple of days. It's funny. I had pinned the exact spot about damn near the exact spot. We killed the buck eventually killed the buck. I had pinned it like two days before we went. I was like, that's where I think a buck will be. So scouting the perimeter of that ridge, kind of the edges of the transitions and everything, seeing all the buck sign out of there, it's like, okay, like I'm committing as long as it takes until something tells me I need to move like other hunters or, you know, just not seeing deer or the sign starts to dry up, but like didn't really spend a whole lot of time looking like hit that spot and it's like, dude, there's literally big buck sign everywhere in here. Like every, every edge of this ridge that we walk, there's buck sign coming out of here, going in and out. So it's like committing, we're committing a bunch of time to this. So basically the next five days I hunted that until I shot a buck and just continued to adjust based off conditions and what I had been seeing prior. So, you know, that's a good example of, something holding me up really quick where, and and then when I was comparing it to what everybody else was seeing too, that's another advantage of being in a hunting camp is if I'm coming back and people are like, yeah, you know, we found a handful of rubs over here. Have you seen it in, you know, you ask the question, like, have you seen any scrapes? It's like, ah, you know, not much for scrapes, you know, maybe on the field edge or something. But then when my experiences is like, I'm seeing, four or five big fresh scrapes with big tracks in them. It's like, okay, I'm seeing something that nobody else is. And in another situation, you know, maybe you're in another situation where you're not finding that right away, but you're always comparing, even if you're alone, you're always comparing what you saw at the last spot. So like I said, if we've driven around, we've combined or we've condensed that eight spots of interest down to three or four. And at two of them, we see eh, a little bit of sign, but at this one, we see a lot more sign. It's like, well, okay, that, that spot clearly has just more going on there. And, and, you know, when you really look back at the spots that at least, at least for me, the spots that were good over the years and we pulled bucks out of no matter what state, there's always something there that was like way better than anything else you'd seen in the surrounding, you know, in that, general vicinity in that county you know in that block of public land it's just like this is better this is where they're all at so i think that's a big part of it and i mean that varies too because on october 5th it's going to look probably a lot different than it does on october 25th so you got to keep that in mind too um and, and just just kind of adjust accordingly but yeah in a roundabout way it's like all right that's my long winded version of saying you know, drive around, condense your spots, cover ground on foot, condense your spots, and then, then start to really hunt down an area. And a lot of times that won't even happen until day three, four, five, you know, and that's what ends up happening. It seems like I would say on average, most of the bucks, bulls, turkeys we shoot are like on day five or six. It's, it's just like the progression leads to that. So up until we find that spot that really gets us excited, just continuing to move. And so for a guy that seems to be always on the move, continuing to move all of that, you know, taken into consideration, some of the things that you said there where if you think that that buck is going to be bedded on that oxbow or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, if 
and I think this is where guys get hung up and this may be guys that like consume content, but they don't necessarily spend the time in the woods. Yeah. They hear, you know, well, there's an oxbow and I got one big set of tracks coming out of it, but it isn't, you know, where you said you're looking for a concentration of sign. So they might think that, okay, well, that's got to be this one buck. So mm. I'm going to sit here and it's okay if I don't see anything because I'm hunting buck beds and, you know, sometimes they're just not there. Yep. So I guess, how do you, you temper that? You're just looking for concentration of sign. Cause I think that that's where a lot of people get, get hung up is they hear all of this stuff, but they haven't like been out there on the edges and seeing like, yeah, there's a couple deer here, but it's nothing really to make me you know, excited. And then you see something where you're like, Oh, this is super beat down. And then the other side of that is, is like a lot of people are one and done on a spot like that where they're like, he's either there, he's not. And then I got to keep on moving. Yeah. How do you decide like how much time to give and how far do you start back and work your way in? Yeah. You know, obviously there's no, there's no like perfect answer for this. And there's no perfect answer for any situation because it's like we actually just did a long, had a long conversation that we recorded a podcast that we were talking about a a particular hunt where Ward um, saw a big buck but didn't have any confidence, like ended up getting an arrow, like shot at this deer. And he didn't, he didn't, or he wasn't prepared you know, this is speaking for him. So keep that in mind, but he wasn't prepared because he wasn't seeing the sign. He kind of was just half-assed, you know, going at it. He didn't have a whole bunch of confidence. He said he knocked an arrow, but was kind of just like, eh, nothing's really going to happen. They haven't seen any big buck sign, but then all of a sudden, boom, there's this big buck coming towards him. And, um, you know, they got an opportunity. So, you know, it, nothing is perfect. You know, there's not ever a perfect situation, but I suppose for me, like I can use that Pennsylvania as example. Um, what kept me in there day in and day out was the consistent big buck sign and how it was freshened up constantly. It was like every time we'd go in there on that ridge, there was like either a scrape was opened up a fresh rub where we're seeing like this happened in the last 24 hours, like there's shavings on the leaves. Um, you know, it was raining on and off. So we're being, we're able to check the freshness of these tracks while it's raining. And this scrape looks old one day. And then we go back past it the next day and it's open back up. It's like, okay, they're still here. So if that's the case, I'm going to con- continue to commit time to it. If, the, if you know, a couple of days go by and everything starts to dry up, it's like, okay, then it's time to move on. But that's something that will keep me hanging in an area. Also visuals. And like, I mean, it's, it's abnormal and it's something that I, I need to get back to honestly is, is not worrying so much about spooking things. Like I feel like we're so, it's so ingrained in our mind and as deer hunters that when we find this really good spot, that we got to treat it very, very cautiously. We don't want to go bombarding in there and spook these deer because then they won't come back. I found nothing but the opposite. Like if you find these killer spots, especially in a place like Michigan, it's like, where's he going to go? Well, he's not going to go in that open timber where everybody's ladder stands are. He's just not going to do that. He's going to come back to this good, you know, cover where he can win in that situation where 
if I bump him, there's probably a pretty damn good chance he's coming back because that's, he's got no better option. Right. And I think that kind of consistently across the, the country, that's something that we see is when we find these killer spots that have the sign, um, they're there, they're coming back. And honestly, if not, if not the, the, that first one, there's probably multiple bucks kind of, you know, making their runs through these areas. So along that same, same line, that that conversation is like, how do you feel about like leaving deer to find deer? Like in a situation where like, Oh, I spooked them or there was deer there, but you know, I'm just not sure. I think a lot of people get so hung up on the next big thing instead of like, like you're saying, like, the deer is going to come back there. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not, and that's also not to say a hundred percent that they're coming back. So like, I like to have a plan A, B and C. I mean, if I can have a plan to Z that, you know, A to Z that's ideal. Um, so that's where that initial like covering ground comes back into play. Right. So it's like, if I've covered ground and I found three spots and I'm like, like these are all killer. Like this is all going to be good. There's going to be big bucks and all these at some point or another. I do like having those options to where it's like, you know what, maybe we'll give that a morning, let that chill out and check out this other spot again, because I think there's a pretty dang good chance that something's going on over here. So like there's been a couple hunts where I've had like two stories going on in my brain in two different locations Nebraska is a good example. A couple of years ago, now this is different than Michigan, but but just for the sake of like having options, like we'd actually bumped bucks out of two spots. One was this eight pointer, um, and one was the one that I actually ended up killing. We bumped them out of these both of these spots, and I was bouncing back and forth to you know the areas that we were seeing these deer, and I kept seeing them both. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I kept seeing the one that I didn't end up killing. I saw him like by the time the whole thing was over, I originally saw him driving, watched which direction he went, went deeper in there. This was still the day before season scouting spooked him on the way in to go glass. So that was kind of a downer. But then a couple of days later found him deeper in there again, like just, and again, just looking at the cover and you know, people will say like, Oh, it's Nebraska. Like it's, it's, you know, it's not like here, but it's like, it is. If you're just looking at what's the next best quality cover, right? So it's like, you go from one quality cover. Okay. He's not there anymore. What's the next one further in there? What's the next one further away from where I've created this pressure. So we kept bouncing back there and we eventually found, found him again. And we ended up seeing him two more days in a row in that same area. And then ended up bumping him that morning on the last morning. So it was like our fourth time we'd seen this buck We bumped him again and then went back that evening to where we had been seeing the other buck and he was in there. And that's when I ended up, one I ended up stalking and, and shooting, but um, like that's an example where you've got these, like you get your plan A, but then you got your plan B too. And really they're not, not either one of them you're any more or less confident in. And ideally you always have that because on the flip side in that Pennsylvania deal, I was tiptoeing around the edges of that a little bit too much because I didn't have a plan B. And instead of being super aggressive and just going to the X and just like, you know, being in there and set up, which we ultimately did. And then ultimately killed the buck doing that. 
we were like playing it a little too safe and kind of hunting. And, and I regret that. I really look back on that and I'm like, man, like probably could have either just went straight in there and been more aggressive and had an opportunity earlier or could have seen more of Pennsylvania had I just not been tiptoeing around the edges. So I guess I would have liked, I'd like to be able to sit here and tell you that in my experience hunting Pennsylvania, there's a spot that I'm excited about going back to, but the only place I have in my experience there is that one spot. So if I can get a bigger list of places that I'm interested in, that's ideal because in, you know, places that are kind of your home base, like, like I do, I guess while I'm not a resident, you know, I still go back and film. I hunted in Iowa for a long time. I'm a resident, was a resident there for five years. And then I grew up in Ohio. So I've got like a lot of ties to Iowa and Ohio. Same thing with Colorado, I guess, with, with the elk world too. So I've got these areas that like, you know, I'm confident in there and it's a little bit easier to have a big list in those places. But when you're on the road, it's like, you know, ideally you're just covering that ground. That's why I think, again, it's important to do cover the ground, big ground, fast, early with a vehicle, and then cover ground fast in a big scale on your feet and then shrink that down. It's just kind of the progression that always ends up happening. It's like just cover it ground until you shrink it down to that final 20 yards. And, and, and yes, it is challenging. And, and, you know, a lot of it's just, it's so variable. And I, I hate that, you know, it's like, I hate saying that, but it's like one situation, it might be a scrape and that's plenty enough to hang me up and say, okay, I'm done. I'm not going any further, but there might be 20 more times in a row where I walk right past that same scrape, which I do that all. And, and honestly, a struggle that I have personally and something that I really want to work on is two things. I want to cover the ground more aggressively and find those spots I'm excited about. But once I find those spots, be better at just committing to giving it a morning or an evening. And those are, and I, and I know that it's almost like they're, those two things are almost like opposite or, you know, or contradict, I guess, but I want to be aggressive. But then once I find good sign, I need to be better about this being like, okay, like I need to set up but I have this tendency to want to go, go, go until I see something. And there's pros and cons of that too, which I don't know, getting long winded. So I'll wrap that up by saying it's a fine, it's a fine line, I guess, of being aggressive, but also hanging up, hanging up and saying, okay, let's give this the evening. Something we've talked about this before and, but I don't know that you've explained it like in depth of like where you were saying, okay, we're going to give this a morning to cool off and we're going to go check out this spot or <laughs> we did this and then we're going to go back in there in the morning. <laughs> so you don't necessarily strike me as a John Eberhart three hours before daylight <laughs> sleeping in the tree until nah. it, till it. No. So how are you um, approaching a morning hunt, even in a situation like in Pennsylvania where you know where you want to go and – you know, kind of where you want to be. I think, I think it, it kind of depends on the situation. You know, it's like if I found a spot where, um, I think deer are feeding, like that's something I'm probably going to save that. Like, like 
if I found a really good food source of like, let's say it's just red oak acorns that are dropping, I find a bunch of feeding sign. It's like, that might be a situation where I'm like, I'm not really even sure where these things are, are coming from exactly, but I know that they're probably coming to this spot. So that may be something I'd save for like an afternoon. And when that's the case, I, I then can be more aggressive in potentially a different spot where I think that they're, are, where I feel like I can predict exactly where they're bedding. So for example, if I thought there was this specific ridge where it was thick, maybe there's a clear cut there, or maybe there's just, you know, an old, it's an old pasture that's overgrown. And I feel confident that deer are going to be coming back into that location. I'm trying still to get there before daylight and be close to where I want to be at daylight. Now that's something I've slacked off. I did a little bit slack off a little bit more on last year where it's like, you know, maybe being there a little bit more, er a little earlier, isn't going to hurt. Um, but it varies too, because it's like, you know, if you can get a visual from a distance and catch deer moving back, back to bed, sometimes you are better to just hang out and stay back. But if it's something that's a little bit more close quarters, that's when I'm going to try to commit a little bit more time to get in there early. So like Pennsylvania example, I knew that I was going to go hunt that ridge. I was getting in there pretty consistently, like a little bit before first light or at first light. And then now I'm in my zone and now I don't get too caught up in being like in a setup because I don't necessarily always set up, you know, sometimes I just kind of meander my way through. It's, it's honestly weird. It's a weird style of hunting, but um, you know, I'm not totally worried about like getting to a spot because I feel like if I worry about getting to a spot, sometimes I just rush in there and it's not, you know, ideal and I'm, I'm making too much noise. So like, if I start to notice eh, I'm running later than I want, a lot of times I just like have to say, okay, like, we're just going to have to play this a little bit different and get there a little bit late. And that's not always the end of the world. Like, bucks still move, especially within their bedding areas, you know, throughout the day. So, you know, that that plays a factor a little bit as well. It's just, you, you know, just kind of not worrying too much about it. But if it's like something that I want to commit to and I want to get in the thick stuff, I want to try to get there a little bit earlier, I guess, than... But if I can get a visual, I, I kind of want to be there late. I want to watch things play out. I want to watch things kind of work back into that bedding area. And I mean, again, it varies so much. It's, it, it, you know, you can find that in all kinds of places. It doesn't really have to be, you know, the Dakotas where you can see two miles. It's like you may just be sitting back on a grassy field and watching deer come from ag, use that grassy field to go back into the timber to bed. So it's like, in that situation, you can play it back a little bit, but you know, really a lot of it comes down to how quick I can get my coffee made and, and get out there is really what it comes down to. It's like, so there's a lot of days that are just late and that's okay. I'm not about to get up very often, super early because I do that enough for turkey hunting. So it's like, I kind of like to chill out a little bit and take my time. And especially during the rut, I mean, there's no, to me, there's not a whole lot of rush to get into a spot once we're into November, you know, it's like, might as well sleep in, get your rest, hunt hard all day, you know, cover ground throughout the day, trying to find where the hot action is. And at that point, I'm not as worried nearly about time. October, it's a little bit different story. 
Um, but November, I could care less. I mean, a lot of times our best hunts aren't, we don't even get out there till mid or, you know, mid morning, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, you know, it's like, sometimes that just gives you the peace of mind to just like, Hey, I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to feel good. I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question even, but. No, because I wanted to move it into, and I, th I think it kind of helps, like when you're talking time frame, like those November 10, 11 noon hunts, right? Mm -hmm. Is uh, for like a still hunting type scenario, mm -hmm. when you're going in there and we, I mean, uh, under, uh, and I, I think listeners, viewers, like whatever, they need to understand that. Well, yes, I'm thinking of one where you guys like get out of the boat, walk up on the ridge, and then Jake shoots that buck yeah. like yeah, throw yeah. or whatever. Yeah, like <laughs> there's probably a hundred hunts that didn't go that way before that one, you know, mm -hmm. made the channel right. Mm -hmm. But it, it just seems like oh well, that's all you got to do, you know. But so when you're going in there and you're doing that still hunting and you're you're kind of moving through the timber, like a like, what are you looking for or what are some techniques that you use to see the deer before they see you? Mm -hmm. And then secondary to that is like, let's say that you're and especially in the rut, I think this is probably the most uh, applicable scenario is you're going through and you see a, a buck chasing a doe or whatever up in front of you a hundred yards. Well, that would have been great if you were ahead of you a hundred yards. Like what do you mm -hmm. do? What do you do in that scenario? <laughs> yeah, that's, those are good <laughs> questions. So, so that's, that's where I feel like this, this is, those are the questions that I feel like I can kind of dive into like a little bit more specific, you know, because, because it is, there's so much finesse that comes along with it, but also so much like carelessness that you can, there's careless, there's a time to be careless and there's a time to not be careless. Obviously, if you've got a visual, it's time to quit being careless and like, let's get completely serious. But up to that point, I've had times where being careless has actually put me in the position to actually kill the deer. Um, I'll use an example. I'll use, I, I use this example so much. So I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but it's one of my favorite ones ever. I was with my friend Ben and I had been hunting Ohio a lot that season. It was 2020. And I was hunting a new area, which I really enjoy doing. And I was struggling. I, I was getting close. I, I actually got close with, with Keith during bow season a couple times where we had bucks like literally five yards from us and we didn't pull it off, which are some mistakes that, um, you know, a couple of mistakes that, that, that cost us. We don't have to go into too much detail with them, but they were pretty major mistakes on my part but I had been close. And in that area, it was really hot. Um, in November, we were having those good hunts, like a couple days in a row there or three days in a row there, we had some like pretty stellar hunts, but then gun season rolled around and I was, I was going back into those areas and I felt like I was getting strung out. I was like, okay, I can't figure this out. It's like, I'm seeing a little bit of sign here, but I can't commit to it because of what I saw earlier in both season. And I was just getting strung out and I, I was kind of getting, um, my head was all over the place, which happens to me often, like it does all of us. But that's, that's a part of the, of the hunting season that unfortunately is hard to explain where like, there's, trust me, 
there's plenty of times where everybody in THP is kind of going off the deep end of like, we might actually be going insane because we're, we're thinking about this too much, you know, and we're failing. Right. And it's hard to show the failure because it, as much as people say, like they leave comments, like, Hey, like we love to see the failure. It's like, we can't show you the five days where we didn't see a single deer because nobody's like in the grand scheme of watching it, it's like not going to help us out. You know what I mean? It's like, we can't show you five days of hunting and no deer sightings. Like that's, it's just not going to make that kind of a video. So it's like, there's a lot of times that that happens and we're like, you know, spinning the wheels. So that was kind of happening to me. I was struggling. Hadn't been having much success, been seeing very, very minimum, uh, minimal deer sightings. And, and I kind of looked at the map, broke it down and said, you know, here are the things that are consistent. I'm seeing bedding on secondary ridges about mid slope and the deer are feeding on um, acorn or scarlet oak acorn. So picked a spot on a map that was new, that was a little bit different. I mean, same general vicinity, but a, a different um a different spot that I hadn't been to. And I picked a spot on the map for a Northwest wind where I thought a buck would bed. It was far, it was, it was far from access points. The terrain was rugged. There was a whole bunch of different secondary fingers coming off of this ridge. So even if he wasn't on exactly the one that I thought he might be somewhere close. And the plan was to go in there with Ben. It was Saturday. There was two more days Saturday and Sunday left of season the plan was to go in there, check to see if there was sign in there, and then just kind of play it by air as we went in. So we still hunt down that ridge. We got in there, in the, where we got there in the dark, started walking in. Walk ended up taking longer, much longer than we thought. It started getting daylight. We find ourselves working out this, this ridge and are working towards those fingers. And as we get there, we kick a doe off the top. So it's like, okay. Like everything below this is potential buck bedding that we thought. I mean, there's obviously the chance that he could have been up on the top too, because there was a doe there. Like there's still being utilized by deer, but you know, our thought was he would be down mid slope because that's where we were just consistently seeing more um, deer sign in all of the areas. Um, That was just kind of the elevation that particular year based off of that food source, because it was all based off of that food source being the scarlet oak acorns mid slope was kind of a hot spot. So we start to drop into this area where we expect the bucks and we're super slow, still hunting, easing our way down through there. And we come across this old bed that was used this fall, or, you know, prior, but could have been anywhere from mid October to, you know, two weeks ago. And it just is like, yeah, he's just not here right now. So while we found pretty good sign, we've kicked up a deer. We feel like we're kind of in the zone. I kind of got careless and I took about four steps too fast. And I have this like rule where if I'm in this, the stuff, like if it's looking good, like I, I don't want to take more than two bad steps. If I've taken two bad steps, I'm getting pretty risky. But if I've taken three or four, then I'm really like screwing up. What I mean by that is like, here's kind of my rule and how my pace kind of changes okay so i'm in the zone and i can for the most part feel like i can take these silent steps where there's no noise there's there's nothing that's traveling more than just a few yards around me as far as sound like that very simple step on leaf litter that's 
you know, maybe kind of wet, that you're not really making any sound. So if you're taking your time, you're taking these steps and you're looking around, you're fine. You're going to probably pick up on a deer faster than they pick up on you. But what happened was, is I was kind of going downhill at a steep angle. There was a downed log and I kind of just went like, I remember one, two, three, and I kind of went up under that log four. I'm like, whoa, like way too fast here, son, slow down. And right as I got that gut feeling, I looked to my left and I saw a deer running. Well, of course I broke my rule and I paid for it. went too far, too fast and spooked a deer. As I'm like signaling to Ben that this deer is spooking, I hear him say big buck. And I watch him run down the hill and he was running away, but he's not that spooked. So we kind of just broke down the situation. It's like, okay, where was he? Where was he? Well, he was pretty much right underneath of where we expected him to be. He was there. We just kind of got careless, but being careless put us in the game. Now, had we not been careless, could we have walked another three yards, looked at him feeding on an acorn down below us and just shot him? Yeah, maybe. But also at that point, it's been many a days before we've even seen a big buck. So spooking him wasn't the end of the world, although it felt like it. I mean, I will say, don't get me wrong. When you spook one, it hurts. Like it doesn't feel good. So we just ultimately like decided, okay, if he was here, on this terrain feature, there's probably a good chance he kind of just, you know, ran three, 400 yards and went to the next terrain feature that's exactly the same. So comparing this ridge to the ridge that he ran towards, where would he be based off of the wind, based off the food source, based off of just the way the terrain lays? So we circled up and around him to where we thought he went and started finding sign leading from where we thought he was buck sign, a few rubs here and there, nothing crazy, but probably five, six rubs, fresh feeding sign, a bunch of fresh acorns on the ground, turkey scratching, telling us that like, there's just a, like, you know, animals using this terrain feature in this kind of flat area. We got as close to that bed as we felt like we possibly could and still be in a safe distance set up. And within like an hour, he was walking straight from where we thought he would be straight to us feeding on acorns. I shot him at 40 yards with the gun, had no idea we were there, was still feeding on acorns. So that's a situation where, you know, your your pace changed, your, our pace changed so much throughout that hunt, throughout that still hunting situation. You know, you're, you're moving quickly to that target area. We accidentally bump the deer, which sucks, but once we now know he's in the vicinity, now we tone it way back and we spend the whole rest of the day moving at a snail's pace similar to like the one you used the example of jake with this bow season just so so that way too i'm not just using a gun hunting example we i'll use i'll actually use two a a good example an unsuccessful example and then a successful example both with jake both He's hunter, I'm cameraman, and two different decisions that we made that cost us. But then ultimately, the next opportunity, we changed the situation and we were successful. So we had located a big buck. How we did that was we were on a boat and we saw that there were deer, does, and small bucks going out to an ag field. But close to that ag field, there was this like, kind of open 
you know, brushy, open, grassy creek bottom. And that was running north and south. And we had like a northerly wind. So we came up on the south side of it and just glassed down in there that first night. Well, right at last light, we get eyes on a really nice bell. It's like, okay, tomorrow morning, we're definitely coming back into this area. So we start going in there in the dark the next morning, coming from a different access. We didn't have the boat. We were just walking in, walking along the edge of the water. And in the dark, we start hearing a commotion. So we just kind of hang out. We just know there's deer. We hear grunting, chasing, going on right up here in front of us. We also had a decoy with us. And we decided that we were going to be able to sit back, tuck behind a little bit of stuff and set the decoy up close to, you know, kind of behind us, kind of off our left shoulder and hopefully just grunt this deer in because as it started to get daylight, we started peeking up and we could see that it was a buck that we were hunting the night before chasing off these little bucks. And it's just a little bit too dark to film and see very well, but we can tell it's that same buck and like where we're, he's right above us. And the only reason we got in tight to him is we were taking a super quiet route in where we were walking along water. So we're making no like footstep noise whatsoever, none. We were able to walk right up on these things, a big buck tending a doe and chasing off little bucks. So we feel confident that our decoy strategy is going to work. We feel like we're going to call to this thing. He's going to see our decoy come right in because he's already running off little bucks. We can visually, you know, confirm that. Well, starts to get daylight. We're just about to grunt and a freaking duck boat comes in behind us. Just total bad luck. I mean, no blame on the guy. It's public land. That's part of, that's part of life, you know. Of course, doe starts blowing and takes the whole group of deer up and towards the cover. No big deal. We, we shake it off. And we're like, all right, we're just going to still hunt our way up there until we start to kind of get in that zone again. Now, you got to remember, this is middle of November. So deer are making noise at that time of the year. This would differ a lot if it was early October, where deer are more lethargic during the day. They're not making as much noise. Kind of the, the, the majority of your movement's happening at the front end of the day and the tail end of the day we know that if we get close to this rutting action we're going to hear something so we start making our way up towards where we had you know where they had went and we kept getting kind of a little bit closer a little bit closer a little bit closer and there was one very specific move that we made that was a mistake there was a bit of cover just like a brushy grassy spot where we could have tucked in and just sat there for five, 10 minutes and just listened. But instead we, we kept going and we, we jumped cover from one cover all the way to like, you know, another 40 yards up where if we would have just went another five or 10 yards, tucked in that for a minute, sat there and listened. Well, I think all this would have played out a lot differently, but we kept going and we went too far without stopping and listening and all of a sudden, everything starts to play out right on top of us, and we are caught in the wide open. Doe comes running out of the brush. A different, bigger buck <laughs> comes chasing her and runs right up on top of us, and we're just stuck out in the wide open. And, and had we not been stuck out in the wide open, the way that she ran past us, if we would have been at that piece part, you know, that spot of cover, I mean, which all it would have taken was five minutes sitting there and this all would have played out and we would have just had a perfect 20 yard shot at this buck and we had had cover. Everything would have worked out, but instead we got too antsy and we went too far and then we caught ourselves without just giving it that minute to like, listen, 
You know, if you find yourself, especially in a situation like that, where, you know, they're up there somewhere, just be patient. You got all day. I mean, at this point in the day, it's like nine, 10 o'clock. It's like, what was the rush? Why did we need to keep going? We never even gave it a chance to listen. We never even gave it a chance to play out right in front of us, which it would have within five minutes. And we just sat there, you know, we didn't. So we ended up, we'd been hunting a lot and mentally we were a little bit, we weren't sharp mentally. So Jake said, you know, let's call it a day. Um, He was pretty frustrated. I, I, I was frustrated, but like, you know, it was one of those deals too, where it's like, I think that he was frustrated because he felt like he was letting me down. He felt like he was letting the team down. Like, you know, it was just one of those things. And, and we both were feeling that to a certain degree, but I think he was feeling it a little bit more. And we took a break. We got some editing done that we'd been putting off because we'd been hunting so much. And we went back a couple of days later and we went to that same area, but we got on the boat and started riding around. And we kind of figured out this cool little deal where if Jake just kind of runs the boat at the right speed, I can just sit there and glass. And I was just scanning the timber, just kind of letting the speed of the boat take my binoculars across the terrain. And I just, I'd actually happened to be multiple times while we were hunting in Iowa this past year. I literally looked right at a shooter buck bedded, just like through the timber from the boat, you know, 300 yards up in there. I just look right at him and he's just the buck laying there. And, um, we made a loop around, saw him again, and he was up and kind of up on his feet moving, but he wasn't alerted. It's the same thing as the last situation. We know he's up in this area. We don't have an exact visual on him because he got up and started walking, but we know he's in, you know, within 150 yards, 200 yards of this area. So that's where the still hunting strategy really comes into play right? Just like the last time we watched them run up into the cover. So we went up there and got in the action, but we didn't choose to stop at the cover. This next time though, we put ourselves, we parked the boat in a safe position and we start working our way in there. As we're working our way in, we see a little buck, you know, run towards the action. It's like, okay, that's confirmation that there's still stuff going on. This is confidence boost. So we start moving our way down, keeping the wind in our favor and sticking to shadow and cover. Every piece of shadow cover that we hit, we stop, we give it a minute, we listen, we watch, we glass, just kind of glassing up ahead. Now this isn't like, you know, I think, I think that hunters in general, bow hunters, especially whitetail bow hunters don't glass enough. Like you can never glass too much because you might be 50 yards away from a buck and not be able to see them with your eyes, but you put your binos up and you see that time kind of moving around or whatever. So we're constantly just glassing up ahead, watching, listening. We grab some cover. We're sitting there for a minute. And all of a sudden here comes the buck that we had spotted. He comes running over, charging over the hill. And he runs in, he looks kind of like, who the hell's over here? And he runs back over the hill. No tail up, no nothing. We're just like, you know what? He's not spooked. He's just coming over here to try to run off the buck that he thinks that we are honestly he probably heard us and thought that we were another buck and he came to run us off we didn't see us or smell us here so now it's like okay we got to cut that distance we could have sat there the rest of the day but that's not necessarily our style it's like how do we get closer but how do we do that safely 
So we start making moves and every five yards, we're grabbing the next bit of cover that we can. And he stop and listen, making sure he's not doing that same thing. And there was one really specific moment where it was like, you know, we can't both go to this cover at the same time. Why don't you go up five, 10 more yards to that next tree? I'll stay here at this cover where I've got a tree against my back. We're in the shadows, winds in our favor. And I'll sit here and watch till you get to that tree. Once you get to that tree, I will then give it a couple minutes and then move to you. Well, right as Jake's getting to that cover, I look down and here comes the buck coming right at us, grunting, head down, walking towards us like, again, who the hell's over here? I'm coming to run you off. He ends up walking right up to us, 10, 15 yards, and Jake shot him right in the chest. He runs over the hill and goes down. Couldn't work out any better, but the major difference between the first story that I used and the second is we were using our cover. We were using our co- the cover to our advantage and stopping and listening. And it's just, you got to be so particular in that moment, but what, okay. So what makes you be particular and what makes you slow down? Okay. A visual is the obvious. Number one thing, if you know, he's up there, then that's when it gets easy because you know he's up there. You've got the confidence to play that slow. But what would be another reason? Maybe that big sign. Maybe that, you know, the fact that there's tracks coming out of this potential bedding area. Maybe um, really sign is the big thing other than a visual. And there's just, I mean, ideally every single time you get the visual, but there's just certain places where you're never going to see a buck until you get your shot opportunity. So I think that, you know, those are the two things that hold me up and make me be in that, you know, slow, slow it down mentality, I guess. So, um, both of those are examples of like where you saw the deer from a ways off. Mm-hmm. Do you play that the same way? Like I say, if you're, you're walking through and then you just see a deer, you know, that you just see, I feel like if you've been in the woods enough, like you, you're going and then you're like, Oh my gosh, here comes deer and they're running at you and they just go blowing by you. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I can think of one very specific scenario where it was the biggest buck I've seen in Michigan had to be, had to have been a 12. I mean, it was just tines and, you know, they're just running these, these does in circles, you know, and they've kicked off the fawns and the, I mean, and so in, in that moment, you know, I got as close as I could and I got up a tree, but they kept it because that's what mm-hmm. we do. Right. That's what right, right. we're like, yeah, we are just going to get close. We're going to get up a tree and this deer just, they just kind of stayed over there running around. Like, so how does that change? I mean, is that the exact same scenario as you and Jake in the last one where you're just moving up as close as you can get and hoping that they circle by you or. Yeah. I mean, in that, in that situation that you're talking about where it's like action is happening, it's again, that, that visual for me is, is the ideal situation always. And I mean, if you have something to be looking at and you have a way to gauge how fast you can be going, right? So if I've got eyes on a buck and he's chasing a doe, he's not really paying that much attention to me. So I can probably get away with cutting some distance pretty quick, but being able to see what you're dealing with and being able to hold that visual. So like, I think of like a flat river bottom situation where 
you're sneaking through and all of a sudden, or maybe you're even going to a stand and all of a sudden you look up and you're like, Oh man, like something's going on right now, right up, you know, a hundred yards past my stand. Maybe you're at the base of the tree and it's like, Oh, right up there. They're, they're going nuts. It's like, that's a situation where a hundred percent of the time, even if I was going to go, I mean, it's tough to say now because of the style change being, being very different than what it once was. But like, even if I saw, or, you know, know my stands here, if they're a hundred yards up there and they're going nuts, it's like, I'm going to try to get right there in range right now, especially if I can keep the visual, because if you can keep a visual, then you never have to question what happened, right? Where you run the risk is, okay, to get closer, I'm going to have to lose my visual. Well, when that happens, then things can get a little bit trickier. But if you can hold that visual, even if it's 100 yards, it's like you might be able to just jump tree to tree to tree and cut that distance from 100 to 50. And now the odds of them running a circle right past you goes way up. Similar to what we had had happen um, on the one where we should have stopped at the cover. It's like we knew they were in there. And past experiences told us too that that's a bedding area that these deer are using. They're probably within, you know, within a hundred yard circle. If we can get up tighter to that, there's probably a dang good chance exactly what happened was going to happen. Is he was going to run that doe out of there at some point and come right past. Similar to, you know, this situation we're talking about in a river bottom, you're headed to a setup and you look up ahead of you and there's action going on. It's like man, that's the thing I dream of happening every time. Like I'm even to like at a point where it's like, I just want to see a buck, you know, moving through the woods at a hundred yards in the wide open timber. It's like, if you can get eyes on something as a spot and stalker or a still hunter to me, that's like, that is the number one thing where as an, as a setup hunter, it's more of find a spot to ambush movement from, right? But if you're a still hunter, it's like you're almost trying to, you almost want them to be in a position where you, you almost need them to be in a position where their location is given away, right? So, you know, the visual the visual advantage is going to give me a lot of confidence to move and, and honestly probably move pretty dang fast if they're doing the right things. Buck chasing a doe, man, he's, he's pretty out of it. Like he's not necessarily looking – you know, checking his back all the time. He may just be focused on that doe or run another bucks off or whatever. If that's the case, probably going to cut per distance pretty aggressively. So, you know, looking at all the days that I've hunted, it's like, man, it's just like there's a lot of days where it's just like, just give us that, just give us that buck chasing a doe, even 500 yards away, you know, even looking way out across the marsh. And it's like, Oh, like there's action going on over there. Sometimes even a small buck, right? Sometimes even just a small buck chasing a doe is like, okay, now we're going to cut and get in there because that's where the action is today. And I think that's the thing. And I guess get what I, what I disliked the most about my setup strategy and when that was more my style is you could be just out of the game. And then you always wonder, should I move my stand? Should I like, you know, should I should I move today? Should I move tomorrow? Am I going to be making too much noise? But it's like when you are already set up and you've got the confidence to make those moves, it's like something had circled just outside of your range. And it's just like, okay, well, I'm just going to move over there now. Like I'm just going to follow him. Like I'll use a, 
an example where this was before I did the ground hunting as much. I guess I had just barely dabbled into it, but it was 2016. And I was hunting in an area that um, we had scouted. It was a, like an old pasture kind of where the field had extended out onto this ridge at one point, but then it was all grown up and it was just young vegetation. And there's a hard transition line between mature forest and this thicker edge. And we had found a bunch of buckside on it, felt like deer were going to be bedding around it and, and working those transition lines. And um, it was the first day that I was in there. And I don't think we had seen much other than a few does. And all of a sudden, middle of the day, look down in the ditch below us and what our scent is actually blowing over and we're in a tree stand and it was sean and i sean Ferendorf. Uh, we this is we're still working at midwest whitetail this buck is down in this ditch with a doe and he was probably 80 yards 100 yards down below us way down in this ditch and it's one of these deals where it's like man i hope he comes up here and like, I look at that now and it's just like, hope he comes up here. He's got himself buried in a ditch, like walk over there and shoot him. Like, it's a simple, I mean, it's not that simple, but it is that simple. You know, like you got to be smart about it. But like, I mean, he's in a ditch. He literally can't see anything except for dirt on 360 degrees. The only thing he can see is up. He was in the bottom of a damn ditch. And it's like, we sat there and waited and waited and waited. And sure enough, he come, he eventually, it was pretty cool. I don't think this is something that you get to experience very often, but I think I've only actually ever seen it twice. And both times I've seen it, and I think it's been, or it's been big, big bucks. I think he left that doe right while we were watching him. Like he was locked down with her. And then he just decided like, you know, whatever she's, she's either, you know, he's bred her and he's moving on or she's going at estrus, whatever. But he was with this doe locked down in this ditch. And then he left her like an hour or two later. It's pretty, pretty cool. Cause I don't think you get to see that very often, but I mean, son was just, just stupid in the head. He comes walking up there and he's literally drooling. His mouth is wide open and he's just zombie walking. I mean, here's this easily five plus year old 10 point, just like just zombie walking through the woods. He gets up, he hits a scrape real aggressive, but he always stays about 50 yards away from us. And he goes up and over the ridge and goes out of sight. Same deal. Sit there the whole rest of the day thinking, man, I hope he comes over here. And had we just followed that action, had like now, if he went up and over that ridge, in an instant, I would just follow him. Not to say that that's 100% the right answer, but I know that I probably would have got eyes on him again, you know, and at least been able to get eyes. Maybe you get up there and you get 50 yards closer to him and you call, and that's what it triggers him to come back. You know, now he's a lone buck, so now he's probably more susceptible to calling or, well, not necessarily more susceptible, but now, you know, you can call to him, potentially bring him in, potentially, you know, go walk, maybe pop over the ridge or maybe you watch him bed now. Well, now you're totally in the game because you know exactly where he is. And I just look at that experience and think like that was a classic example of hoping that the rut comes to me versus taking my game to the rut. And I feel like, you know, that's evolved 
you know, so much over the years to where we hunt looking for that. And honestly, there's a lot of times where, you know, the rut is a unique time of the year to hunt because you can be in it and it'd be awesome or you can not be in it and it'd be terrible. And there's just like days and days where you're like, man, it's November and I'm not seeing anything. If that's the case, I want to move a lot. I want to keep moving. I don't want to hunt in November and not see deer. I don't want to hunt in November and not just see like a buck an hour, no matter where I'm at. Like I want it to be, and now you can go a lot of days before you find that, but if you keep it moving, you're going to eventually find that hot spot where there's a doe or two or three that are in heat and there's all the bucks are around there. And I mean, again, I look at that no matter what the state, no matter what, like a great example from last year, Indiana public land challenge. I was not there for this, but you know, I was able to watch it and hear, you know, multiple people's perspective. It's like most of the guys in the public land challenge last year, are not seeing much. They're seeing some sign, but they weren't really seeing the bucks. And John Lewis, on the other hand, our buddy that does just hunt club, he was in a spot where he was seeing a big buck every time he went into the woods, but he was in the hot spot. He was in that spot where the rut was happening. Now, once you find that, then it's time to kind of hang back and, you know, play it by ear. Obviously, if you see that movement, you need to want to be more aggressive and move to it. You can. But until then, to me, what's the point of setting up and hoping that something's going to come through this travel corridor? I mean, by all means, it works, but it's just like, yeah, that's just not what I want to experience. Like, I'll use this as an example. Western Ohio, where I grew up, there's, there's very small woodlots, similar to a lot of southern michigan right small woodlots and you know maybe you have two woodlots with a fence row that connects those two i know that if it's middle of november if i sit there day in and day out all day at some point a buck is going to use that fence row as a travel corridor from point a to point b from bedding area to bedding area i think that's a it's a great strategy if that's what you want to get out of it but like, I don't want to hunt that way personally. I know that when I do get that opportunity, I'm going to be so not focused that it's probably going to happen and play out and I'm going to miss my chance or I'm going to be moving around and the deer is going to spot me, whatever, because it's not like hot action. But on the flip side, it's like, if I go straight into that bedding area on the other side of that fence row and I go in there and check to see if it's hot, maybe I bump a small buck, maybe I kick up some does, whatever, something to tip me off that, hey, this is where the action is. Like now I feel like I can play that more confident and I can be a little bit more aggressive in that area. And I don't have to like, I don't have to hope. You got to know, in my opinion, that the action is, I shouldn't say that. You don't have to know. You can by all means sit in a terrain feature and wait. If that's what you're good at, by all means do that. You're going to be successful. I promise you will be but it's not my style. It doesn't work for me. I just, I'm not very good at staying patient like that. And I get burnt out very easily. So I'd rather continue to move and have something tip me off to, Hey, this is where the action has certainly taken place because of sign or a visual. And then I'm going to slow down. So you keep using a word there, right? Is, is confidence. And I think that that's what keeps everybody in the tree, 
right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so it's funny because I've, I've said it a lot of times from being like a, a ladder stand hunter to being a mobile hunter, whether it's a climber or standing sticks or whatever, is mm-hmm. it's exactly what you're outlining, hunting versus hoping. Like mm-hmm. you're in that ladder stand and the deer are over there and you're like, man, I just hope they come over here tomorrow or to, to you know, mm-hmm. and exactly that. And it's that confidence that keeps guys from getting down. Like, like you said, whether it's going to make too much noise or this or that, or like your abilities, or I'm just going to mess it up or, or any of those things. So as you transitioned into a more like ground based style, like what was the catalyst or what was the one thing that ended up giving you that confidence to do it day in and day out? Um, I think, well, first off, I, I think one thing, there's a couple of little things, I guess, that play into it. One thing and how I kind of got into all this is I always liked turkey hunting. I always liked turkey hunting because I could be super aggressive. I could move around and get in there and like push it. Just like, I don't even know, like other than just to like push it, you know, be risky, take the risk. And one reason that it's easy to do that with a turkey is it doesn't have big antlers on its head. You're not trying to go for, I mean, I'm not at least, I'm not trying to kill a three-year-old bird versus a two-year-old bird. If it's got a long beard and it's gobbling or it's, if, or if it's got a long beard in general, I'm, I'm hunting him. So like, you know, caring about what you're hunting, I think, you know, is one factor that helps with turkey. But so then I started, how do I channel that with my turkey hunting mentality? How do I channel that with deer? Well, one, I quit worrying about messing up this opportunity with this big buck because I know that there's another one somewhere else, right? So that's that's one thing. Like you almost got to just like, at least for me, and I think this goes for whatever your style is, quit worrying about the one, the one big, you know, like if you find that one spot with big buck sign and you're like, this is the only spot I found. It's like, there is another spot. Guarantee it. Like there's not, that's not the only buck that you're going to shoot out there. Like, I mean, if you're, maybe if you're hunting differently, like as in maybe you have a big property or you've been targeting one buck, like it's going to be a little bit different, I guess, but, but don't worry about like the sense it being sensitive in that regard. Like don't worry about, again, it just ties into that, like not worrying about spooking deer, right? It's like, I don't want to worry about spooking deer. There's going to be another one. And honestly, if I spook the thing, he's probably coming back. So that's a big factor in it. And then also just like, um, what gave me the confidence is just practice, right? It's like being out there, practice drawing on deer, you know, practicing, having small deer in range, um, small bucks or does or whatever, non-target deer, you know, you get that practice and then it's just like, you know what, I can get away with this and I can get away with more. I can get away with more. And you continue to push it and push the limit, push your, um, push that, that risk, I guess. And it's just crazy how you start to learn what you can and can't get away with. And so much of that just comes down to experience. And, you know, we play it. So we always play it so serious and everything's so in deer hunting, it's so serious and it's so, you got to be, you know, in, in a lot of hunting media, it's like, you got to be overly particular. And like, again, while that may work for some people, it doesn't like, there's not one way that works perfect for everybody. And like, I can't tell you how many days, dude, 
I go just hunting and it's just, just couldn't be more free. There's not, there's no objective. There's no agenda. It's just like, we're just going hunting. And until stuff starts to play out, I mean, we don't have an agenda. I mean, there's nothing to do. We're going to kind of walk over here and, you know, maybe it looks good and maybe it doesn't like, I'm not to say that I'm just like, you know, out in La La Land necessarily, but it's just like, you want to walk along this river and see if there's any signs? Like, yeah, sure. And then all of a sudden it starts to, there starts to be sign. And you're like, okay, like, let's look at the map now. Okay. There's a rub here. There's a scrape here. The food source is over here. Potential bedding might be over here. Let's kind of work our way over there and check that out. Oh, boom, bump the big buck. It's like, okay, now what do we do? Do we want to come back here in two or three days? Do we want to try to, how bad was he spooked? Do we want to move around him? I mean, there's just like, there's just no rules. I mean, it's not, and it's so different though than the setup mentality when you're going from point A to point B, point A being the truck, point B being your setup, you sit there all day or you sit there for an evening or morning or whatever. And then you go back to your truck and you go home and you try something, either, you know, do that again the next day or go somewhere else. But same, same strategy, point A to point B, point A to point B, where I don't necessarily have that because we don't have an agenda. And I think, man, it's just more fun. Like, I just think it's so much more fun. And that's kind of what helped me get to doing it all the time. It's like, yeah, I understand that there's a learning curve here and then there's going to be some mistakes, but like, also it's just, we always, we, we don't as much anymore, but we always used to joke about like the rule book in deer hunting where it's like, and the rules are, you got to do this and you got to be set free and you got to do this and you got to be, you know, everything's got to be stealth stripped. And, and what, I mean, it's just like, just do whatever is working for you and just go out and try something new, get out of your comfort zone. And like, if you spook a big buck, it is not the end of the world. Actually, I only see that as a success in a way, because you can certainly learn a lot from that. Even if you never get him, that's a success because you learned where a big one was at that time. So now forever, you've got that in your bank of memory bank where like every experience that you see a deer, non-target deer, or the biggest buck you've ever seen in your life, those are all fall into this list of experiences you've had. And I think if you just do the same thing day in, day out, you're only getting like this many experiences. Like your your ability to gain a bunch of experience is limited because you're putting a cap on that. But if you go out and you just, you know, be aggressive, you try new stuff, you put yourself in different situations than you ever have before, then you're better for the next time. And it's just like all the things that I've learned ground hunting have made me so much better of an all around hunter that, I mean, that's, that's really the hook for me. And honestly, I'm having way more success. Like, just like, it's not even a question, really. It's just like way more successful than when I was just setting up every single time. So, well, that's, that's pretty awesome because it kind of goes along with everything that like we've been, as we're getting into the season and how people want to start moving towards whitetail. I mean, like I told you before, like I'm trying to get into this, like, you know, get out of your comfort zone. Like if you want to buy a new piece of gear, get out and shoot your old bow. If, and then decide Mm -hmm. if you really need it, go hike the miles, read a book, do all these things to, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to kind of earn it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I kind of want to end like on this a a little bit, like you, you said the rule book, 
right? And I think that's awesome. And, and so in our Patreon group, we've been talking about like overrated piece of gear and underrated piece of gear. And for a guy that doesn't carry very much stuff, like what would you say? Maybe you're contractually obligated to say that no, this is no, great. Not at know? all. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, an overrated piece of gear, I think, is a stand. Like I had, I got a message the other day from a, a kid. He's in college, and he was like, "Hey, man, like, you know, I, I'm I'm college student. I don't have enough money to buy a saddle. Like, you know, what do you recommend?" And I was just like, "Man, like, they don't. You don't need that." And I'm not say that, not to say that, you know, depending on your style, it might be more valuable. But it's definitely not a, a stand, a saddle. Like you don't have to get elevated. And honestly, I mean, I would actually rather see more new hunters use a elevated setup down the road. Like it be a tool that you bring into your strategy as you've got a couple of years under your belt. To be honest, if I was going to help get somebody into deer hunting right now that had never deer hunted before, I would say spend your first two seasons just hunting on the ground. And just learn that because then if you want to add that tree stand to your tool bag, right? It's like, it's like, okay, here's the situation where it's uh, what I got in my tool bag. And then you can pull that stand out and say, okay, in this situation, I'm going to use it. But you're going to learn more about deer and deer hunting and what you can get away with if you spend more time on the ground versus just automatically like using that stand as your only strategy. So to me, a stand saddle, whatever. Those are the overrated pieces of equipment as far as like, you you know, things to get, to get started, um, or get started or just even be successful in general. It's just like, you don't, you certainly don't need that. And honestly, you might be better off without, um, the other thing that, that the underrated thing, water, Nobody ever talks about bringing water. And like, I look back on, I was watching this video the other day. It's actually a shot at that buck right there with Logan Wright. We left the damn woods while we were in that. Remember talking about all these times that I've brought up, like being in the hot spot where like all the actions happened and the rut is on in this particular spot. We left the woods because we didn't bring water or food in with us. It's just like bring water, bring enough to get you through an entire day because if you bump that buck, and you can hang with him all day. Maybe he's not that spooked. Maybe you watched a buck chase a doe into a bedding area. If you can hang out there all day, then your odds of seeing him and shooting him go way, way up. But if you got to pull out because you didn't bring enough water, like, I mean, was, what? That <laughs> seems so stupid. And I, I used to do that. And just as early, like, just as 2019, I think I started wearing water. And I wear a like a little pack that I can put a, I mean, it's a minimalist pack. I wear a uh, turkey vest. That's like the, it's the night and hail run and gun. I've taken the seat off of it. So it's the absolute bare minimum, but I can fit my three liter water bladder in that. And that's generally enough to where I'm not going to feel sick. If I, you know, even on a really hot day, three liters. Now I also strategically chug at least one of these plus coffee before I go. So I'm well hydrated when I go out there, but like, making sure I have water is, is very underrated. And I'm sure that's something that you probably never got that answer before, but like, make sure you have enough water because I mean, even if you're like, man, 
like, let's say I think of this situation, let's say it's, it's October 25th and you're like, you're like, you know what, I'm going to go out before I work a little bit today. But with that being said, maybe you're the type of guy that's got a flexible schedule to where you're like, yeah, I'll work, I'll go out and then I'll, I'll work the rest of the day. But you've always got the ability to take off. You're your own boss, let's just say. Because I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that are in a somewhat of a similar situation. And you go and you get in your tree stand and nothing really happens. And it's about nine o'clock and you're about to get down. And all of a sudden you hear a loud grunt and a, and a big branch break. You're like, ooh, you look over and there's this big ass buck that you, you've seen on a trail camera, but you didn't even know that it could ever exist in your life. And he's standing there running another buck off and he's got a doe beside him. Okay, well, that's what we're talking about here, right? That's the rut playing out right in front of your eyes. The very last thing that you want to be doing is leaving because you're sick, because you don't have water or because you know, you don't have enough food to get you through the day. Always make sure you just got to bare minimum to get you through a day because you never know when, okay, clear the schedule. We're sticking it out here. And maybe you stick it out. Maybe you, maybe you hear that and it's 200 yards over and, you know, you go get out of your stand anyway and get closer to it, but maybe you don't get a shot at him for four hours. It's like to put yourself in that situation, you're never going to get there in my opinion if you're not hydrated and, and, you know, getting enough food to get you through the day. And for me, hydration is the number one thing because I'll start being like my, my mental sharpness will go away big time if I don't have enough water. So like wear a water bladder, man, like wear a water bladder or have one in your pack or a bottle at the very least. But like, even this, I don't think is enough. Like definitely not a little plastic 12 ounce or 16 ounce or not enough. Make sure you got plenty of water. Well, there you have it. Zach is uh, <laughs> basically telling you don't spend any money. Just bring some water with you. You don't need a tree stand. You don't need anything. Get out there. Let's hunt, baby, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the one thing that I will say, if you're somebody that's like on the fence about new gear or you're new to it or even in your first few years and you're like, thinking about what's the gear that I need. It's like have a weapon that you feel very confident in, you know, that is going to efficiently take down the animal that you're going for. And then have, you know, as far as like, I mean, even camo and everything, like to me, the only two things, three things, here's the three things that I do not want to leave the truck without a weapon that I feel efficient with water. And then, the next thing I would say spend some money on is binoculars. Like if I don't have my binos, I'm, I'm, I'm worthless out there. I'm not even really in the game. I mean, there's so many situations where, I mean, that's a whole topic that I feel like I could talk about for hours. It's just glassing and how much I utilize that. And I'll talk to bow hunters and they will be like, yeah, I don't carry binoculars. It's like, are you insane? Like, how do you not carry binoculars? Now you don't have to spend a whole bunch on it either. Just something to magnify just a little bit to kind of extend your vision. And like, I mean, go to a garage sale, go look online, find something to use. Like don't spend tons of money. And there's plenty of good options that you could even buy new that are cheaper. You don't have to spend a bunch of money on that. But if you're going to, to me, and depending on what your style is too, because if you are completely stationary, you know, maybe the binos aren't as valuable to you, but 
but to me, you know, just even catch inside of a doe sometimes is enough to like put you in the game. So having that ability to kind of zoom, zoom your vision in is, is important. If I got those three things, my bow, my water, well, and your license, obviously, but like, if you've got those things, like there's no reason you can't hunt super effectively all day. Well, awesome, Zach. I, I mean, I think that's why everybody, you know, kind of gravitates toward you, toward you is your energy, your attitude. And like, you know, you're not afraid to say like what people don't want to say, like bring water instead of like, you know, your grunt tube and your, yeah. your, your all the other stuff that, you know, maybe you don't need the the butt out your acorn cruncher yeah. like yeah, yeah i mean things. like it's just like uh too you know like prepping yourself like yeah you know i have everything i need to get a deer out every single time i go hunting in the truck <laughs> you know like i don't I, most of the time i'm not going to be successful and you know, I, I kind of almost plan for that. It's like, yeah, I could carry a pack in here. Or I could pack a deer out or I could drag my deer cart halfway into the woods and leave it there. But it's like, I'm really just working on the bare minimum stuff, working, figuring out what works, you know, for me. And, 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 you know, again, this isn't to say that there's a, I never, ever, ever, ever want people to think that like, this is the way you have to do it. You don't, it's just what works for me and what I like. And I feel like, I feel like one of the main reasons I ever wanted to get into ground hunting is I was, when I first started, I'm, I'm 29 now. And when I first started it would have been 2016. So whatever that is six years ago. So I was 23. So at 23 years old, I'm sitting here thinking like, I'm this like fidgety, high energy, unfocused kid. I can't be the only bow hunter in America that is that person. Like I can't be the only person with that personality out there. I know I'm not. So I want to try to figure this out. So that way at some point I can talk about it and hopefully help somebody that's in the same boat as me and get them as excited about going bow hunting with this style as I am, because it's like, and in there for a lot of years, I, I honestly didn't feel ready to talk about a lot of these topics because while I might've been starting to dabble in some success with it, it was like, I don't even really know how to explain what I'm doing. And I still don't necessarily think I'm great at it, but it's like, I just want to show people that there is a different way to do it. If your personality or whatever you want to call it, doesn't align with, you know, the rule book or the traditional way of going about it, because you know, there for the longest time, it's just like this, you read the same article, you listen to the same strategy on TV or on, on YouTube or whatever. It was just like the same thing over and over again. It's like, play it safe, you know, make sure that your wind's safe. And like all those things, you know, wind is the one thing that's always going to stay true, but like, otherwise put the wind in your face and do whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, nobody's here going to like, Nobody's going to tell you you're right or wrong. If you're not having fun, find something that makes it fun because I wasn't, I can honestly say, dude, I look at, you know, pretty much from the time I was like 15 until I was 23, I wasn't getting out of it what I am now. Like turkey hunting was way more fun because I was getting out of it what I 
wanted. I was getting an adventure. I was moving around. I was seeing new country, just getting that adventure. And now I get that with deer hunting too. And I wasn't before when I was setting up all the time. So I just think that that's, you know, find what, find what it is that works for you and have fun because that's all you're trying to do out there, man. (laughs) Well, man, that's awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time and, you know, opening up on all this stuff with, with us. And like I say, it's always good to, good to talk to you and, and hopefully it won't be, you know, so long between, uh, interactions yeah. here, uh, here in the future. Um, you know, the hunting public, you know, what do you guys got going on? Where, uh, where can people follow along? Um, YouTube is the biggest thing always. Like we just post the most content there. Um, so YouTube search on YouTube, the hunting public. And then, um, we also, um, recently on our website, thehuntingpublic.com just started this new thing called the deer school where we basically created like an online course i guess about everything that we've learned over the years and kind of like a more detailed write-up strategy video content as well um, where we're kind of talking about the specifics of these things that we're looking at we do state breakdowns we do hunt breakdowns we have exclusive video content on there like i had mentioned uh, the buck that aaron um, shot at because where he didn't feel comp, uh, confident in the sign the whole video is like exclusively on that deer school so that's something that we've got that we're kind of excited about it's that's something new so there's well, more content there and we're always creating more content <laughs> well awesome zach i really appreciate the time yeah no problem thank you thanks for having me on i had a blast yeah <laughs>